I love the United States of America. I've been to a few other countries. I've been to Albania where I bought this coffee cup. Uh, I like the United States. Been to Jamaica. Jamaica's fun. I love the United States. It's a great country. It's a fantastic country. Not perfect by any means, but man, oh man, we got some opportunities here. All right, we're going to continue our series that we started last week called Miracles, God's Power to Change Your Life. So we've been uh, starting this series talking about what are the things that God does. Because God can do anything, but He doesn't just do anything. God does certain things, and we can trust Him to do certain things, but we can't get Him to do anything even though he could do anything. Like, for example, he could turn the subwoofer to gold, as I've mentioned before, but I, I have no reason to believe he's going to. I could ask him to. Maybe he would, but probably not, right? It, it seems unlikely. Uh, however, there are things that God does, that God does repeatedly, that we can trust him for because we have promises for these things. And so we're looking at categories of miracles. There's too many miracles to cover them all, obviously. And we're not even going to be able to cover all the, the categories of miracles, but we're going to cover a bunch of them. And last week we started with the miracle of taking a human being off of a road to destruction plucking them out of the miry clay, out of the difficulties and destructions of the world of sin and changing the course of a person's life, putting them on a new path that leads to everlasting life that, that is productive and significant in this world, and that's called being born again. We looked at the Apostle Paul, who was... a uh, blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man who God reached into his life, miraculously changed him and put him on another path to go from being Saul, the persecuting Pharisee, to the Apostle Paul, the preacher of Jesus, who brought the word of God to the Gentiles. And God will change a person's life, intervene in their life. I know that because it's happened to me. I know that somebody can be on one path and God can intervene and put them on another path. It's happened to many of us in this room. God intervenes in people's lives and puts them on a new path, lets them be born again. Paul kind of summarizes this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he writes that this is the violent, blaspheming persecutor Saul who was changed by God and made into the Apostle Paul. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So this is a miracle that conquers shame, it conquers our past, it conquers our failures, it conquers death, we are born again. Hallelujah for that miracle. And it's a miracle that does not require a miracle for us to grab hold of. It only requires a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has already been made so every human being on this planet can be born again. Today, we're going to look at another miracle we're going to look at a miracle that changes our heart. 
that changes us on the inside. And so let's pray, and we'll get into the new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit, and you guide us by your word. Lord, help us to grab hold of your truth this morning. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're in different stages of life. We've got different battles we're fighting uh, on the outside and on the inside. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit you would touch each of us with what we need this morning so that we can draw closer to you and take a step forward in serving you better. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about a specific miracle. We're going to read an account. But it's a miracle that is talked about a lot. And there, we could spend a year discussing this topic. And I want to focus in on a specific detail this morning. We did, I think, a nine-week series on the Holy Spirit about a year ago. And today we're going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the little piece that I'm hoping to get somewhere in is God changing our hearts. God taking out the darkness, the bitterness, the selfish pride, all those things pushing out the darkness of our spirit and filling us with the fruit of His Spirit. So we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just like last week, this is something I've experienced a profound miracle, and I, I had all the, the, you know, all the classic, you know, what is it, uh, Assemblies of God, Doctrine number 8, the uh, initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I had the initial physical evidence, was not expecting that to happen, happened anyway, that sort of thing, you know, God can knock you down, that's how that works, but the Lasting, profound difference for me was the heart change. Now, is, is Trinette doing something important and running around? She's always busy. Is she back there? There she is. Come up here for a sec, would you? These people think I'm a nice person. And I'm telling them what the Holy Spirit can do to your heart. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible for me to overstate how violently angry and just seethingly dark my heart was towards the church of God? Is there any way I can overstate that to this group of people? Have you met anybody more upset with the people of God than I was before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. This girl does not lie. Okay? I'm, I'm tell, I told the youth group that. They, they were amazed. All right, you can, you can have a seat. I said, I met somebody one time who did not lie to their parents. And they're like, what? I'm like, my wife. Straightens up a boy when you're dating. I can tell you that, when the wife doesn't lie to her parents. But here's the deal. My heart was not right. And my heart needed to change. 
And there's a miracle God will do to change your heart. And it's a progressive miracle. It's something that, man, you can get hit like a ton of bricks, but it needs to continue. There's more and more and more as our heart gets changed and turned and softer and more loving and more patient and more kind and more gentle. As our heart yields to the Holy Spirit, we grab hold of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And there's a contradiction that we need to talk about just, it's part of this whole thing, which is the ugly-hearted Christian. Have you ever met an ugly-hearted Christian? That makes no sense at all. The world looks at that person and thinks there's no God. The church looks at that person and thinks, I can get, I can get my experiences with God without going to church. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a disaster to have an ugly-hearted Christian. And there is an answer for that. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a miracle. It's a heart transplant miracle. So let's look at this. I'm going to read scriptures as fast as I possibly can in order to try to instill in you a confidence that this is not a side issue, but that this is a core central issue to Christianity. And so... Last week, we talked about being born again. Of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many Gospels say you must be born again? One. It's in the Gospel of John. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark. It's not in Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say, repent and follow me. But they don't say you must be born again. How many Gospels is Jesus will baptize us in the Holy Spirit in. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. He's going to make straight paths for the Lord. And the way he did that was by baptizing people in water for repentance. And he also shared a message. Let's look at that message in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. We're going to whip through these fast. I baptize you with water. So this is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John was an interesting guy. Mark chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. i got to meet this guy. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke three fifteen through 17. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John the Baptist might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John chapter 1 
32 through 34. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The message of John the Baptist was repentance is good. I'm going to get you to repent and you're going to show it to these people by being baptized in water. But being baptized in water is is good. But there's something way more important coming. Now let me ask you this question. If you're baptized in water, how wet are you? You're pretty wet. Like you're completely wet. Like you've got to dump your shoes out wet. Now, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, how much like God's heart is your heart? You know, everybody has a spirit about them. Some people have a judgmental spirit, a critical spirit. Some people have a prideful spirit. Some people have, you know, just any variety of different types of just their spirit about them. The idea is that we'll go from rules and rules and rules and rules and rules and rules and rules in the old covenant, the Mosaic law, to... Our heart is just like God's heart, and we're just going to get it. We don't have to look and see. Now, should I not murder that person who wronged me, or should I murder him? I don't know. Let me look it up. You know, it's not going to be like that. We're going to get it. We're going to understand it, because the heart of God will be put in us. That's what this is talking about, that we're not going to have to try to figure out God. We're going to share God's heart. Man, that's a big deal. If the believers just get it, oh, it's huge. So now let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And this is an amazing time in history. Now, Jesus is crucified. He rises from the grave. And then he hangs out with the disciples for about 40 days before he ascends to the Father. This is really, really strange stuff. And verse 3 has one of my... I think it's funny. I don't... Anyway, we'll read it. After his suffering, this is talking about Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Many... If I was to try to convince you that I'm alive, I'd give you many convincing proofs. Well, this proof maybe wasn't good enough. Let me prove it again. You know, I'm going to eat something. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Jesus shows himself to his disciples. You remember Thomas didn't believe Jesus rose from the grave. So Jesus shows up and says, put your hand in my side. Put your finger in my hand. He showed them I'm here. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here Jesus is saying, remember what John said. That was important, and it's about to happen. So the the disciples When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples are still kind of confused. They think Jesus is going to run for president and he's going to win. And so they're thinking this is the opportunity now. He's going to be the king of kings on the earth. He's going to restore 
Israel. He's going to kick out the Romans and we're going to win the election. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So he's saying, look, don't don't worry about that. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses everywhere. In verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So the last thing he says to them is stay in Jerusalem and wait for this promise, the Holy Spirit to be released upon you. And then he floats away into the sky. Wouldn't that have been something to be there on that day? And then the angels come and talk to the guys. What are you doing staring up in the sky? Well, Jesus just floated away. (laughs) I'd be staring up in the sky too. So this is a central, core, important concept that the Holy Spirit will be unleashed upon the New Testament church, that people will receive the heart of God and they'll get it. They'll not have to be told to love their neighbor. They'll just love their neighbor. They'll not have to be told to forgive. They'll just have a heart to forgive. They'll not have to be told to be generous. They'll just know that generosity is good and they'll have compassion on people and help them. And so we get to Acts chapter 2. And here's how it plays out, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, at this point, the number of believers had dwindled down to about 120. Remember, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus women and children. People are seeing miracles. There's all this stuff. But with the persecution, it weeded out the riffraff down to 120. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because it's, the, the, it's Pentecost, it's a big, big uh, religious holiday and people are coming from all over. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So they're speaking in tongues, but these tongues are being understood by all these people that have come from all around the world from different places where they speak different languages and they're understanding what's being said. Now, in other places in the scriptures, it talks about speaking in tongues where nobody knows what they're saying. But in this situation, people understand. Verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
So this is an incredible miracle. Remember, Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. This is a microcosm of that happening right now because they're speaking to all these different people from all these different cultures who speak all these different languages and they're proclaiming the wonders of God in Jerusalem to all kinds of different nations. It's a microcosm. It's an amazing miracle. Peter, we verse, we're verse 11. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So, the idea that those who have been touched by the Holy Spirit have perhaps been touched by something else has been around for a long time, right? This, thing, this thought that maybe there's a chemical involved. Maybe there's a mental health issue here. You know, maybe there's something wrong that's been around since this thing started. They have had too much wine. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now this is the Peter who seven weeks ago thought, I'm going to hit somebody in the head with a sword as hard as I can. And then Jesus said, don't hit people in the head with swords. That's not how this works. And then Peter didn't know what to do, so he runs away. And people say, hey, you were with Jesus, right? And he's like, no. And he denies him three times. This is that Peter. Seven weeks ago, he's denying Christ. Today, the Holy Spirit has fallen, and he is going to boldly address the crowd. Now, two really important things have happened since Jesus denied Christ. Actually, probably three. No, wait a minute. I've got to get my timeline down. Somebody's going to have to study this out. Anyway, Jesus... What? Anyway. At least two things that are really important. Jesus rose from the grave. That's a big deal. If you know Jesus has conquered death, how scared of death are you going to be? Not so scared if you're with Jesus, because he's the way. If you know the way, and the way has conquered death, you're in. Hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit has fallen and given him power to be a witness. And so Peter addresses the crowd, and he says a bunch of stuff, but here's what he starts with. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It could be a tough crowd if they're drunk at nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. How many of us are in all people? Come on. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So here's the deal. If you consider yourself an old man, you can sleep in church. Because if nobody's sleeping... Who's dreaming the dreams, right? Just let us know if it was a good dream. Let us know. Uh, If it was important to us, we want to hear it. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, I can't tell you how significant it is that the Bible says thousands of years ago that men and women will prophesy. This was not a female-friendly culture. 
and yet the scriptures include women. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, and it indicates the, the inclusiveness of the body of Christ. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. And so this is Peter quoting Joel, talking about what's happening, that this is part of God's plan you know, from creation, God had a plan, and he's saying it was prophesied. And then, of course, John the Baptist is talking about it. Jesus talks about it, and here it's coming to pass. And Peter continues his speech, and we're going to jump down to verse 36, because this is basically what it boils down to. Starting in verse 36, Peter is still talking. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So how scared is he now? You're the ones who crucified the Lord, the Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So they're not, they're not intellectually involved as much as they are now feeling that in their heart. They're cut to the heart. What have we done? We've seen it wrong. We did something bad. This is not good. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the answer to this question is the same now as it was then. What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, those in the future, for all who are far off, for the people who aren't even here, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise is inclusive. It's for everyone. It's for those who were there. It was for the ones who weren't there. It was for people in the future, for all who God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit in us. So, Let's talk about a few details. And remember, there's, man, there's a pile of things to talk about. But the big issue I want to look at is the heart. There are um, gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit. How many people are familiar with the talk? Like there's a category of spiritual gifts. And then there's the category of things that are described as the fruit of the Spirit. Are you Raise your hand to help me understand how fast I need to talk with this sort of a thing. Alright, so let's read a, a non-exhaustive list of the fruit of the Spirit and also a non-exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So the fruit is like the characteristics of the heart of God. It's the emotions of God, the feelings of God, 
the heart of God, the fruit of the Spirit, if we're walking in line with the Holy Spirit, then our heart is going to be typified by the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read those again, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We'll just leave that up there because there's more of them on that slide. Imagine if this was your heart. Instead of bitterness and unforgiveness and pride and selfishness and anxiety and depression, instead of that, you had love and joy and peace and patience and the fruit of the Spirit. What would that do for you in your life? What would that do for the people around you? This is the answer to a lot of questions, to a lot of problems. It is a touch from God to change our heart. These are the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Let's go to Romans 12, 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8 is this kind of a list of gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. The, the grace, gifts from the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the empowerment of God. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. So one of the spiritual gifts would be prophecy. If it is serving, let him serve. So one of the spiritual gifts would be vacuuming the fellowship hall. If it is teaching, let him teach. Doing classes in small groups, spiritual gift. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. So giving somebody a hug is a spiritual gift. Giving somebody a smile, that would be greeting, those sorts of things. Let him do it. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Being generous is a spiritual gift. Giving is a spiritual gift. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. These are a list of spiritual gifts. So these are roles, abilities, skills that were given from God. In the Old Testament, it talks about two men that were filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to do the craftsmanship necessary to build the temple. All the ornate woodwork, all that sort of a thing. They were skilled craftsmen because of the Holy Spirit's empowering. So the Holy Spirit will give us skills, abilities to fill a role, a function in the church, in the, the, that's the big church In the purposes of God, we have a role that we are made competent to fill by the Holy Spirit. So we've got basically the heart of God, love, joy, peace, patience, and we've got the skills necessary, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we've got the fruit and the gifts. Which one do you think is more important? Fruit or gifts? 50-50? Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 13-2. And see what Paul has to say. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
Here Paul is, and this is in 1 Corinthians 13, which is right after 12, which is another list of spiritual gifts, and 14, which is how we're going to do this. He's saying, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit aren't going to help you. In fact, gifts without fruit can be damaging. Spiritual gifts in operation where there isn't love, where there isn't peace, where there isn't patience, where there isn't joy can hurt people. And Jesus talks about that with regards to false prophets in Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at this. He's talking about false prophets, how we're going to recognize them. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So fruit's important. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Didn't we just read the prophecy from Joel that said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? We just read that, and here Jesus says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's going on with that? Well, here's the deal. It's got to be real. You can't fake your way in. You're not going to fool God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now this will, is this the heart will of God or the practical walking out of what you would think would be the things God wants you to do? Let's look at this. Is this talking about fruit or is this talking about gifts? Verse, uh, the next, I'm sorry, what did I just do? Oh yeah, here we go. Many will say to me, it's that we can edit that out. Like it goes on the radio and I, always, I, I take those things out. So <laughs> Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These are highly gifted people. They're driving out demons. They're prophesying. They're performing miracles. This is fancy stuff. You know what I mean? Like people would go to that conference. <laughs> Didn't we do all these fancy things? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He's saying a bad fruit doesn't matter what fancy giftings you have. If your heart isn't right, if you're not portraying the love of God to people, if you're, if you're not full of the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts don't amount to anything. In fact, they can do damage. Mean people... Walking in the gifts of the Spirit hurt people. You guys are smart. Coming to the 9 o'clock. I can't go long. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. Because, oh my goodness, I know the difference between... When the Spirit of God hits you and changes your heart versus just gritting your teeth and trying to fight through it on your own. Did you know there's effort we need to put into attaining the fruit of the Spirit? There is effort we need to put in. But it's a different type of effort. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Galatians 3.3, the Galatian church, they started on the right foot, they were doing the right things, and then they got confused and, and tried to earn, earn things. And here, Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? How many people try to love people more by human effort? Try to have more patience by human effort? Try to be more gentle 
by human effort. Well, you can do that for a little while, but then you just get mad again. Then you just, it doesn't, it doesn't bear fruit. The effort we need to put in is connecting with God so that he will touch our heart. The effort we need to put in is crying out to the Lord to help us. Do you think he'll help us if we say, Lord, the greatest commandment is to love you and the next one is to love your neighbor and I'm not doing so great with those two. Will you help me? Do you think he would help you? Let's read Luke 11, 9 through 13. As we finish closing scripture, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. This is Jesus speaking. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're going to ask. And if in our heart we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, instead we have anxiety and fear, We have cowardice. We have bitterness and envy and selfishness and pride. If that's what's on the inside of us, we need a heart transplant. Maybe you're you're in better shape than I was. You just need a triple bypass. I I needed a transplant. But the good news is, if we ask for the Spirit of God to be in us, That's what God's looking for too. And so he'll give it. So let's pray together. Then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. The the prayer teams are up. They'll pray for anything. You you don't know what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. Come, they'll pray with you. They'll believe God for forgiveness of sins and new life. You need healing. You need a relationship restored, a financial miracle. Come pray with the prayer teams. God will do good things. Let's pray together. And believe God for a heart miracle this morning. So Heavenly Father, you see our hearts. Man looks to the outside, but you look to the inside, to the heart of each one of us. You know what's there. And so honestly, before you, we acknowledge the state of our heart. But Lord, there is a miracle that you do, that you do to all people who are willing to ask. And that is you change our hearts. You line us up with your spirit. You bring us in. So we, we approach you, Lord. We approach the great throne of grace right now. And we ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that our dark spirits would be pushed away, that unclean spirits would be gone, that fear and anxiety and all these other things and selfish pride and all the ugliness that can fill our hearts, Lord, would just be washed away by the infilling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let it be. Let us show the world your love because your love is in us. We ask you for that. Touch us. Grow us up. 
Let us be at peace. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray your spirit would be upon us, that your joy would overflow through us. Lord, that your peace would rule in our lives, and that your light would overflow into this world. Let it be. Let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.